0: Like how I will yeah. never love a movie the way I love that film. It's just there's
1: there's so much good to it. I think it's so well done. Welcome to Pocket Buds, a back pocket podcast where I talk to my best buds about video games and stuff. This week, we're talking about video game adaptations. Movies. They're like video games, except you've got no say in what happens or when. You're not the main character. Tom Cruise is. That's movies. Movies. The same could be said about TV shows, except they're sometimes shorter and there's more parts to them to get the point across. And this time it's not Tom Cruise, but it's probably Kiefer Sutherland. The relationship between video games and TV shows and movies, which I'm going to call shoovies as a collective before I start calling them the more contextually relevant thing, is a rather interesting one. I might be wrong, and I think it's brave of me to admit that, but I remember the noughties as a time where licensed video games were all the rage. You simply could not release a Shovi without there being a video game of it either on release or after. The Sopranos Road to Respect was a notable release that confounded the masses, but you can't deny there was an audience desperate to know what it was like to be a mafia boss. Sadly, the game couldn't capture the true essence of being Italian-American, which was arguably its most fatal flaw. Cabo-goo. over here. But alas, we're very much at a point now where the only licensed releases coming out are for children. My Little Pony games, Bluey games, Smurf's Cart, you name it. These are baby games, no video game for Crime Drama 24 in sight. Instead, we've flipped over. Video games are now doing their own thing, or doing their own thing two or three more times after release. So is the natural process. Big Hollywood studios are looking to video games for their ideas now that people are losing interest in watching three hours of Hawkeye's complex adventure to find roads in maritime New South Wales. But this didn't just start in the past few years. One could argue that it started in 1993 by the husband and wife team of Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel. Their movie? Super Mario Bros. Oh yeah! But Super Mario Bros. technically wasn't the first video game adaptation to make it to the movies. No! Funnily enough, that crown was still taken by Mario. Yahoo! But instead in the form of the 1986 animated film Super Mario Bros. The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach. However, that was Japan exclusive. If we're talking about where it started in the West, it's Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as the Mario Brothers. Sure, people look back on that film in horror due to some of the foul creatures that exist in it, but I think they're funny and cool, so that's the end of it. From there, the video game adaptation industry had nothing else to do but grow. Uwe Boll has stayed gamefully employed thanks to video game adaptations which is either a good thing or a bad thing depending on who you are as a person. There have been some greats in Werewolves Within and Detective Pikachu and there have been some stinkers in Alone in the Dark and Street Fighter the Legend of Chun-Li. It's actually a huge gamble when it comes to whether or not a video game movie is going to be good. And then in the TV realm video game adaptations seem to do better The Last of Us, Twisted Metal, Arcane, and The Cuphead Show are all examples of video game adaptations that have been pretty well loved by fans and newcomers alike. The Halo and Resident Evil TV shows, on the other hand. you Stinky! So what makes a good video game adaptation? With more in the works and on the release schedule, what's in store for the future of video game adaptations? What games should get movies or TV shows? And what games never really needed them? Joining me today to discuss all these questions and more... Is comedian, filmmaker, writer, podcaster, and fan of movies, Alexi Toliopoulos. Wow,
0: well, it's certainly true. I do uh, simply adore cinema.
1: I've heard this. Yes. And then that's why I asked you I, I, I'm like, <laughs> video game movies, there's mm-hmm. so many of them. I saw one or more. And, you know, I know so many people who love video games. Mm. But when it comes to the movie lovers, in in the world, I think, and I'm like, Alexi, my friend Alexi loves movies.
0: I'm one of the guys that loves movies most in this world. I
1: would say, I would say. I adore
0: cinema, I cherish movies, and it means a heck of a lot to me.
1: And uh, what do you think – it is about movies that you love so much.
0: I love sitting down; it's a big part of it. Huge. <laughs> that's a huge part of why I love movies. <laughs> Do
1: you think you could stand up and watch a movie? And I've have done the same? it. I've You've watched a movie it? in almost oh, every way that you could days. possibly. I got
0: to keep it fresh somehow.
1: Uh, that's true. That's true. I say this a lot. Watching a movie isn't just watching a movie; it's also the experience you have while doing it.
0: Absolutely, that's beautifully put. Yeah, thank you. After all, cinema is the empathy machine. You go in and you feel things.
1: Mm big time you Absolutely. know and it's it's also about what you're doing in the process like mm-hmm. if someone on screen's eating food and you're also eating food you immediately feel like yeah. a connection to exactly. that person on that's screen the
0: empathy, right. that's the empathy dude <laughs> that's the empathy of cinema the
1: empathy big time and and you know video game
0: movies mm-hmm.
1: right back in the day at least i feel Yes, There are a lot more bad video game adaptations Than there were good ones
0: Yeah, it's pretty right. interesting Because like I think I love the way you put it in your introduction How there was a lot of like cross-feeding between the two mm. Where, you know, I was Because I was a movie nerd growing up mm. So many of the games I played were like film adaptations yeah. And I had no idea that they sucked I was like, wow, <laughs> video games are just pretty hard And I'm bad at them <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> But like, but then, you know, because I was a video game lover and a film lover I would be excited to see like this big video game film adaptations I would have seen almost all the ones growing up in mm. the cinema Tomb Raider Doom Doom in fact was one of the first movies I remember seeing where I had the cognitive thought of oh I guess not all movies are good <laughs> So it was like, it's kind of an important movie in my life to just go, okay, they're not all good. Well,
1: that's another thing. I feel like you don't know good movies until you've also known bad movies. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a huge thing. Like, if you
1: only saw good movies, which, like, I feel like is a. Privilege yes. in yourself. I feel like if you've only seen good movies, how can you really know that they're that good? You gotta say some the things. same
0: is the opposite as well. It's like if you only see bad movies, you you know you will never know something good.
1: Oh yeah, and I had a very long time of for fun and as mm-hmm. jokes, only watching shitty movies. Because yeah. I thought, oh, it, it's fun, they're funny, it's funny to watch bad movies. And was only watching bad movies for quite a long, I think probably like six months. Six of just months only is a long time to movies. torture yourself. And it really kind of messed with my yeah, view of movies. absolutely. That when I did actually watch something good after a while, I was like, oh. You feel satiated, Okay. You know? Yeah, it feels like, uh, you know, after like a, plane crash and you're in the woods for like six months, mm. you're only eating nuts and berries, and then finally realizing that, you know, you were next to
0: mm-hmm. a seven
1: eleven the whole time. <laughs> and then you get one of those like chicken and lettuce sandwiches. Wow. And then you really experience something beautiful.
0: Yeah, okay, I guess so. Is <laughs> it like that? It's <laughs> probably something like it's that. It's probably
1: something like that. But yet, yeah, like what do you think has changed in terms of like mm. the approach to how people make video game adaptations?
0: I think it's a really interesting question because I don't think it's a straight answer. Mm. I think maybe for me what I'm guessing is like the biggest factor is now there's a generation of filmmakers that have grown up with video games Mm. and that is part of their artistic progression in their life. Like people that are our age make movies now and they have had video games being as equal an art form for them growing up Mm. or as equal a form of expression, creativity, storytelling, a form of interactive storytelling that is as key to them as film, TV, totally. you know, paintings, music, as key to those. So I think there's like a more inherent appreciation and respect for the form, mm. and then through that, the other key, the, I think probably the most key factor is now having some kind of an understanding of how to adapt them. Mm. Like if you look back at the Super Mario Brothers movie with John Leguizamo, Johnny Legs, and Bob Hoskins, mm. what, like, it's a crazy movie. I think it because rocks. Because they have no idea how to adapt it. You no go like, way. how do you adapt this side-scroller where it's a little guy in overalls jumping around? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, let's make it look like Blade Runner and yeah. it's set in another world that's called Dino New York or whatever. And I
1: think they had this point of Donna being Hatton. like- sorry,
0: I know, I have to correct myself. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay.
1: <laughs> but um, I think there was also this, like, idea of, like, making it – because, like, it was mm. kind of, like, a gritty remake, right? Mm. But as well, like – there was probably some guy working on that who kind of like sat back and he's like, Well, if you think about what a Goomba would look like in yes, real life, exactly it'd actually be really yuck.
0: Yeah. Like, like, oh, it would be that? disgusting, it would stink, it would have to be like <laughs> a tiny head on top of a huge body. Like all of yeah. that, it's so it's such a whack way to adapt something. But back then it's like, what do they have? They had like Nothing. a few pictures and some <laughs> sounds. <laughs> and like some law written down in a manual, basically. Yeah. So it's like, how do you even adapt that? I think as uh, the storytelling and artistry of video games have has grown, there's more apparent ways how to adapt right. them. Like you just go, oh, there's a storyline here. Let, let's do that. And not just that. For me, a lot of the best video game adaptations in- the modern era, probably the last 10 years or yeah. so. I think there's an inherent understanding of not just like adapting the video game and not just seeing video game movies as a genre, but then going, okay, what is the genre study we can apply to this? Because audiences are really fluent in the language of genre, whether they are aware of or not aware of it or not. So it's a really great way to communicate to audiences by going, okay. Pikachu, we want to make a Pokemon movie. Okay, well, we can't just adapt this thing where it's like a guy goes to like 10 gyms to battle all these. Like, well, that's not a movie. But they go, well, Detective Pikachu, it's another little spin off in there. Yeah. That can be easily go, well, why don't we make it like a neon noir? Like, a, take the world, there's a great world in Pokemon use that to build a noir story, a detective story in there and just really excel at communicating through the genre of noir and detective storytelling and crime thriller storytelling. Mm. I think to me, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead, to me, that's the best video game movie. You're a big
1: Detective I, Pikachu head.
0: I yeah. adore Detective Pikachu. I yeah. think I saw it like three times in the cinema. Yeah, I've awesome. definitely seen it three or four times on the 4K UHD Blu-ray that oh, I got. Yeah. And yes, it is the Steelbook edition. Of course. And of I course. do I would say it's probably like in my top five blockbusters of like the last ten years.
1: That's I mean, I would say that's fair. I really, mm. really loved that movie as well. I think it it did. For me, at least, did everything right when it came mm-hmm. to a video game adaptation without trying to do the most.
0: Yes, I agree. It didn't feel forced. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like a compromise the way that many of the other ones do. We're like, oh, we've got to put this in for the fans. Mm-hmm. We've got to show them this thing so they can, like, tap that little part in their brain and goes, oh, i like to see that, which I think is – for me, a big problem across all blockbuster filmmaking mm. now, which is all about like hitting that endorphin of like going, oh, I recognise this thing, Whoa. I do that, oh, yeah. I love that little yeah. lo- little shock in your pleasure system yeah. or something,
1: pointing because you know something.
0: It's mm. very that, and of course, like that's in there. Like it's not like you go, oh, wow, Mr. Moore, what a great character. <laughs> but I think it utilises those things and communicates to the audience through genre in a really mm. interesting way. Uh, in a very satisfying way. I think
1: they did the point of the screen and, oh, right, in the sense of the Pokemon, Yeah, (laughs) The
0: Pokemon. The Pokemon. yeah,
1: Just purely in the sense of, you know, you'd see these like shots Mm. going in between like pivotal scenes, right, where they'd just be like going across an environment and you'd see a Pokemon in its natural Mm. habitat and it wasn't, push in your face. It wasn't like, look, it's bulbasaur. But instead it was just like, of course a bulbasaur is there. We're in the forest. Exactly. And I think that was done really well because it was just showing that like they're a normal part of this world rather than like it's this huge big deal. Mm, and I think it integrates that's really it all well. as
0: world building and I think a very successful way. Yeah. And I think there are others that do that kind of thing as well now. So like, I think video game adaptations are a big part of Blockbuster filmmaking's future. Mm. And I think that now we're seeing more interesting ways of how to adapt them, more interesting ways to use that world building for world building within the film instead of just going like, oh, we have to exactly... Interpret this thing
1: Yeah Well that was actually Where I was gonna go With mm-hmm. the next question Was kind of just talking about Like the trend Of video mm-hmm. game movies And where do you think It's going Because I feel like Every Let's say Five years mm-hmm. or so Maybe even three To kind of like Tighten it Every three years It's like a different Trend of movies There's there's the superhero movies yep. There was the vampire movies There was like The teen comedies mm. That really shone I feel like now We're moving into An age of Video game movies and video game adaptations kind of taking over like the big Hollywood areas. Would, would you agree?
0: I would agree, yes. I think the way you're talking about it is like these ideas of movements and cycles in film mm-hmm. where it's like you'll be able to clear, like clearly point that something's happening. And we've been in a really long extended cycle of the top tier of blockbuster filmmaking being like a superhero genre. And I would say that I think for a large part of the mainstream audience – we've kind of reached – we've been on a plateau for a while and I think we have started to see that sort of waft off down a little Mm. bit where the, the key mainstream audience is probably just a little bit sick of it. And I think it's like a really big trend and I think video games are going to be part of this trend in the future of what the next cycle will be And the way that I've kind of identified it is right now when you look at like what the year in box office looks like and the cultural conversation around cinema right now, it's obviously Mario is a big movie. Mm. But the main conversations we've seen this year are around Barbie and Oppenheimer. And I think both of those actually show for a good example of what I think could happen with video game adaptations in that what they are, they are both something familiar Mm. Oppenheimer being like a big prestigious biographical film right. and Barbie being, you know, an IP, a property that is somewhat familiar. But then you see it's kind of like a bold vision or a new twist on something that people are already familiar with, Yeah, which is what I think is getting people in the cinema. They go, oh, it's something I know, but there's something new about it. There's yeah. something fresh, there's something exciting. And I think that is probably the key to what will make this next generation of video game films work. Like, you know, we've just seen announcement of The Legend of Zelda having a feature film adaptation by, I don't know the filmmaker's name, but a filmmaker that did the Maze Runner movies. Yeah. And I think that depending on the direction of where that goes, um, I don't know if it's live action or if it's going to be animation or what. I presume it's live action because it's a live action filmmaker, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that will be a key to that because I think it will be, oh, it's Zelda, but what's the twist? Like, what are we going to see? Is it going to be a straight adaptation? Uh, It's hard to adapt that straightly. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? And so it's kind of like the familiarity for people in the video game audience will be like, oh, it's Zelda. But the twist is, I'm seeing it on a big screen and there's going to be some kind of – there'll be some kind of bold vision towards it, I'm hoping. Or it'll be the mainstream audience which is, well, I love fantasy movies with swords and creatures like um, Lord of the Rings and the twist is it's probably maybe a little bit more family friendly than something like that or a little bit more of that striking Zelda vision where it is like the the way that they design – the design of Zelda I think is so – aesthetically Mm. beautiful, that I think that could provide the new twist for mainstream audience too.
1: And I think that's a really interesting thing, Zelda specifically, because Mm. I remember, and I don't know if anybody else, I mean, like, obviously someone else would have probably felt this because there's no such thing as an original thought. But (laughs) with the Mario movie, Mm -hmm. for example, Mario doesn't really have lore. There's not really story timelines that exist with Mario. It's kind of just like, there are known characters in Mario and things have happened around Mario that aren't really quote unquote canon. It's Mm. kind of just like, activities events right but mario doesn't really have like a direct storyline like the legend of zelda has in so many different Mm. ways right so when the mario movie came along everybody was like what are they gonna do Mm. what story is there other than princess peach gets kidnapped and mario has to save her and when I first thought of it, I was like, maybe they'll go in a completely different direction, a la Super Mario Sunshine, and mm-hmm. have him in a completely different area where he's doing different shit. Who knows? Maybe more like Mario RPG or Paper Mario. Like just there are other Mario worlds that have had more concrete stories mm. and storylines than your average Mario, but I don't know if they'd be quote unquote canon. Yeah. Whatever, right?
0: Almost taking like the detective Pikachu route. Right?
1: Like yes. a little spin-off. I think that'd be fantastic. The Mario movie that came out. We'll talk about that in a moment. (laughs) But with Zelda, there's a whole Hyrule timeline Mm -hmm. that breaks off into a million different pieces because they can't choose – a single story of Zelda. It's not like, sort
0: of a continuing, it's not sort of a continuum. No. But there are, there are those connections are, that arc- make it a continuum. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Like there's, what if, what if Link didn't beat Ganondorf? Yes. What if Link did? Mm-hmm. What if Ganondorf won, but in this way yeah. or in this way, or like, what if this thing happened, but also Hyrule got flooded and mm. it's not Hyrule anymore. Like what if this, and it's this, and this, this happened? It's Terminant. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's like, what if it's, what if, what if, what if, right? Yeah. The Zelda series is just a whole thing of mm. what if this happened, right? So when it comes to the live action one, it's very interesting Because it's got a whole different situation to Mario. Yes. Where it's not a case of there's not enough to go off. Mm. It's the case of there's too much to go off. Which one are they going to go for?
0: Exactly. Because it's kind of like, oh, well, it would be great to do a straight adaptation of Majora's Mask or something because it's such a, a wonderful story world. It's got a great conceit to it. And it's kind of contained, which is something that I think could play well for a movie. But then you're like, "Well, I have to introduce the whole world yeah. to Zelda. Do I just do Ocarina of Time and have to create some interesting story elements? Because it is it's a vast story, but it's also quite sparse. Yeah, like there's not too much to it in a in a kind of like depth way. that I think is necessary for a movie to yeah." present you so it's kind of like that's the one that I'm most fascinated by because I think that there is huge potential to bring the aesthetic of that world cinema to a cinematic uh, yeah. space wonderfully but it's just kind of like well what is the story what do you have to find is Where it just going to be a go? typical fantasy thing mm. or are you going to use I think they in all of those films and the example that you laid out They are doing very interesting things with storytelling and very interesting things with like how to involve the player. And even thinking about the two contrasts of Mario and Link or the characters from Zelda, I think because Zelda, it is that RPG. And I think there's a lot of potential in taking those RPG storylines and story worlds and adapting them to cinema that there's a positive and negative to them. One of the positives is that there's almost a strong characterization because it's all about the empathy of putting yourself in that mm. character. Mm. And so there is a lot in there of like going like, well, how do I adapt that? It's difficult, but I think it is really possible. Mm. But Link is also kind of like a little bit of that blank character. So that's exactly You put a lot it. of it onto yourself. You're a the lot of it on yourself. silent protagonist. Mm, exactly. And I feel
1: like that's, the, the, you know, there's been silent protagonists mm-hmm. in video games for however long, yeah. right? And the point of that is for the player to be able to put themselves in their shoes. Mm-hmm. The the silent protagonist doesn't say anything. They don't impose their, their thoughts and opinions on a situation. Mm-hmm. They just do shit. Right? Yes, exactly. They just are in a situation.
0: And it's you controlling them. So it's just like, what's the motivation? It's you, mate. You're the exactly. motivation.
1: You're the motivation. So, like, it'll be very interesting to see how they work with the site. Mm. I personally, I think it would be interesting to see how they'd go with making Link not talk at all in the yeah,
0: movie. Yeah, I would love to see that. I think
1: that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was a good movie, I didn't enjoy it, but there was a movie that came out really recently, a horror movie, where there was no talking whatsoever. I mm. forgot what it was called. But had the, the it had the girl from Booksmart and it was Oh
0: yeah, I've not seen it, but I know the you know line, what I'm yes, talking yes, about. Yeah.
1: I'll remember and yeah. you know what, I'll edit I'll edit yeah. me saying the it's movie. It's called
0: like in, You Left Me Alone or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Something like that. No one will save you. And I didn't care for it. Mm. But it showed that like you could have an hour, hour and 20 minutes of no talking whatsoever mm-hmm. except for like a few things being said here and there, right? Like like tiny, tiny little phrases by other characters. But I think it would be interesting to see a silent protagonist. They managed to do it in Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. and they managed to do it in Tears of the Kingdom yep. with other characters talking. Exactly. Everybody else was talking. Link wasn't. He yeah. was still like, zip your lips like a padlock. Yeah. But everybody else was talking. So I, I'd be interested to see if they could kind of get away with that.
0: Yeah, it'd be very interesting. I do believe, uh, if I had to guess, they would definitely be experimenting with it on a script level or some totally. way. Just going kind of like, well, what can we do? It might not come to fruition in that way, but uh, you'd be crazy not to think about it.
1: Right? I yeah. feel like it'd be a cool thing to work with, honestly. And also like if they are going to have someone play Link I would love for them to go for, like, the Phillips CDI type. Mm-hmm. Like, excuse me, princess. <laughs> like, very tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. I think if he's going to talk, he's got to be an idiot, He's got to be honestly. annoying. He's got to be him goofy annoying. And annoying. Yeah. He's got to suck. I, I love main characters who suck. Mm-hmm. I think they're great. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: I think as well on the other flip of that is, like, is Link a more compelling character than Mario cuz it's like mm. Mario I don't even know Mario you can he has the shape of a personality but don't think he actually has a personality mm. he's kind of just like the voice is quite animated and lovely yeah. especially, you know the Charles Martinet that we think the of Charles Mario voice.
1: Voice, yes, No talking about
0: Chris Pratt here but I don't know it's always like well how did they do that I, I think they made an interesting effort with the Mario movie I yeah. think especially aesthetically it's stunning. It yeah. looks so beautiful. It's
1: visually beautiful. It's, it's a feast. Delightful. It looks so
0: bright and colorful. It's like to put a little kid in front of that mm. for 92 minutes. It's like a dream come true. Absolutely. It looks beautiful.
1: Like I have somewhat strong opinions when it comes to how movies look now. Yes. I hate the grayscale. I, mm. I don't like this whole like we're making things look quote unquote more realistic yeah. because – I like going to a movie and and seeing it just look vibrant, right? I already walk through the, you know, through my day-to-day and see a very normal looking world. Mm-hmm. And if it calls for it, fair enough. But if if you're going for like quote-unquote realism and that just means making your movie look kind of brown, mm. I think it's boring. I think I, it's very boring.
0: I agree I agree but only to the extent that I th- I hate boring looking films. Yeah. So if they, if they utilize that to create like a personality to yeah. the way a film looks, I will love it. Yeah. But, and I think Mario does, the look of the film does have a personality. Absolutely. It captures the, the brightness that you, as a person you associate with every aspect of Nintendo. Like you associate that brightness, that color that like an imaginative aesthetic it's fun it's fun and it translates really beautifully to that yeah Yeah. Yeah.
1: it's an interesting thing to make a a movie visually Mm -hmm. fun
0: yes like that's that's
1: a weird descriptor but it works you know for mario specifically mario was an interesting one Mm -hmm. i think because i wouldn't say that the mario movie was my favorite video game adaptation i just Mm. i simply wouldn't say i mean
0: why would you? you you can't lie I can't lie. Yeah, as if it would be.
1: I live to tell the (laughs) truth, you know. And and it's it but that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. Mm, I thought it was a really fun movie. I thought it was visually very exciting. And I thought they did a good job with the fact that Mario doesn't really have a concrete story. Mm. And I thought leaning into the, you know, he's a you know Brooklyn Brooklyn Brooklyn-based Italian plumber. Mm -hmm. Fun, you yep. know, still kind of leaning That's into cute. the cheese that came with the original mm. Super Mario Bros movie, but, you know, making it fine for children that won't scar them. Yeah, And I thought they did a really good job of that. But when it came to like a fully fleshed out plot, I think it, you know, it failed, but I, it's for kids. Yeah. It's a family movie, Exactly. Right?
0: It's for kids, so how much can I criticize it? But I would say this. Uh, I think kids deserve really good entertainment. Totally. So I think that they deserve something better than what they received with this. Yeah. But it's also like, oh, but kids want to see things that they like. So how yeah. how can you adapt it? Well, they could have tried harder. Are <laughs> I mean, you yeah, not totally. trying I mean, they've done, they executed something at a really high level with it. It looks so yeah. beautiful. Um, it's involving. I can see kids really enjoying it. But there's just stuff in it that like. I mean, my eyes loved watching it, but almost every other aspect of me did not enjoy watching it. Oh, yeah.
1: I loved seeing things mm. in the movie. But it you kind know, of felt like I was – it felt like a Cocoa Melon type situation but with a bigger budget.
0: Exactly. you know. Beautiful. But I'm a 30-year-old guy. I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to get out of watching this anyway? It's yeah. like so it's not for me But and they're not for grown-ups like that movie. It's not yeah. for a grown-up. It's for kids – but I think kids deserve really, really good high-quality totally. entertainment and there are aspects of this movie that deliver on that, but not mm. completely so.
1: I would argue, because I I really like the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, mm-hmm. sans the human parts. <laughs> yeah. I think they're really boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think James Marsden, I think he's a delight.
0: He's a lovely guy. He's a lovely
1: guy. I wouldn't agree that Sonic the Hedgehog would be friends with a cop just because mm-hmm. like knowing his history, yeah, that wasn't realistic to me.
0: That first movie's crazy. That, Who why would that's why I don't understand? How do you go? Well, let's make Sonic and go, okay, well, he comes into the real world. Okay, one, that's the worst yeah, that's crazy that's to crazy. do that decision. But
1: to be like, and he's also friends with a cop. Like yeah. if if you've played And then
0: going to San Francisco for some reason, insane that's the journey movie. of the film.
1: Insan- that being said, mm. I really enjoyed the Sonic movie. Mm, I've re- only
0: seen the first one, and I thought it was shit, so I didn't watch the I really it the enjoyed one. it. I had
1: fun. The second one mm. I really liked. I didn't care for the wedding scenes, which were the- Wait,
0: what? Okay. Who gets married? Sonic?
1: No, James Marsden.
0: To Sonic? <laughs> okay, I'm watching this movie. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, you saw me, mate. Okay,
1: James Marsden marrying Sonic. I <laughs> wish. I think that'd make it- <laughs> I'm sure uh, someone
0: has written that screen. Someone on has absolutely <laughs> done
1: that. Uh, let's get on AO3- <laughs> And figure it out. But no, so James Marsden's marrying his human wife. Wow. I hate that I have to (laughs) really put that down. Mm -hmm. His human wife. And that's like half of the movie, or maybe a third of the movie. The other part of the movie is Sonic getting the Chaos Emeralds, right? We know about the Chaos Emeralds. This is a crazy you know matchup. About, yeah. Hold on. You know about the Chaos Emeralds, right?
0: The, the maybe when I was a kid, I so remember. So the Chaos
1: Emeralds are the emeralds that Sonic collects to, you know, become all-powerful, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's wow. a big part it's of like the- fan like
0: Thanos in that regard. Kind of.
1: Okay. Kind of, I would say, hmm, I don't know much about comics, so I can't say <laughs> that, that Sonic did it first. But because it would be funny to me, mm-hmm. I would argue that Sonic did it first and that Marvel <laughs> copied them. So Chaos Emeralds, right? Mm-hmm. Canonically- in the Sonic Bible, the Chaos Emeralds are created from every yucky thought what that has ever hell? been had in the world. Oh,
0: my and gosh. And they are
1: amassed into these crystals, which is yep. so strange. This is
0: bizarre. Uh, and Is it, that what it is in the movie as well? No. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh. Maybe.
0: Okay, just think.
1: I might be misremembering. Maybe it is. However, so with the Chaos Emeralds, that's like a huge part of the second movie. And in the second movie, other than the wedding scenes, like the storyline of that movie very much moved along like an average mm-hmm. 3D Sonic game would. There's a start, then characters go to different areas, like yeah. biomes even, uh, for different goals. And then there's a semi-conclusion, of course, so then they can make another movie. It felt like watching a video game, mm. if that makes sense. Like, like as much as a video game adaptation can feel like watching a video game, I would argue that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was that for me, right? So, what do you think of that as kind of a way to tell a video game story in a film? And have you maybe, like, even seen the, the video game setup mm. happen in films outside of the video game adaptation world?
0: Yes, and I'm seeing it more and more. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really interesting because – like we said at the start of this conversation, you're seeing these filmmakers that grew up with video games as a really important form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing that translate to films that aren't even directly video game films. I think the big example is the Doug Lyman, Tom Cruise, Edge of Tomorrow, mm. where it's, you really do see progress and levelling up. You see the repetition that one experiences when you play a video game, you're constantly dying. So you're like, well, i got to do that again, figure out how to do that. And I think that's a really great and strong adaptation of the feeling of playing a video game mm but turning that into a cinematic experience, not just like a direct experience going like, okay, how do we do that? How do we meld these two forms together to give you the experience of playing a video game? And I think that's a really key example where it's also, it's a really great, fantastic action adventure movie as well. On the other end of the spectrum, because that's a big blockbuster film on the completely other end of the spectrum is I saw this film at a Sydney underground film festival this year called hundreds of beavers And it is one of my favorite things I've seen all year. It's absolutely a fascinating experience because it is taking two forms from the end of the, each end of the timeline of cinema and melding them together where It is simultaneously completely inspired and looks like silent era comedy. This Mm. is a dialogue-free movie. It's all silent era filmmaking look. It looks like an old black and white Charlie Chaplin, more so Buster Keaton kind of uh, film. But then taking also then elements of like the Tex Avery, Looney Tunes cartoons. But the structure of this film, it feels like a video game. It feels like Mm. a two-hour like Let's Play watch of someone playing this video game where the other big, I would say influence is probably something like Legend of Zelda Mm. or even something like that, where you're watching this movie about a frontiersman who's out in the wild. It's very funny. It looks like a cartoon as well. And you're seeing him uh, have to collect all these beaver furs or animal pelts and stuff like that. And each of these animals that he hunts are played by a man in a mascot like suit. So there's a lot of charm to it like that. But then his whole mission is to earn a hundred beaver pelts so he can marry the shopkeeper's daughter. And so you see him using all these traps and it's the progression of learning how to be a better hunter and like all these like different setups of things that he can do. And then by the end of it, you're seeing like, Oh, this guy's farming things now. Like he's just absolutely farming all these like equipments that he needs for everything. Yeah. And so it's like a really interesting progress. Cause this is not like, a movie that I think is even aimed at a video game audience. I think a video game audience will find it eventually mm. when it comes out in cinemas, probably more so likely next year. But it's like it's a really fascinating thing because it's like this tiny, small, independent comedy that's utilizing these storytelling techniques that are innate in another form of media, and it's so satisfying. I could have watched it for like four hours. This movie, yeah. and you know, that's how I never say that about anything. But it's just <laughs> like I could go for four hours. And just enjoy the repetition of it all.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, another thing you could do is, like, open, like, a Legend of Zelda Let's Play mm-hmm. and then just kind of, like, put your display on your computer to black, black and, and white. white. I might And then do just that. turn the sound off.
0: And just soak it all in. Soak it all in. Soak yeah. it all in. I am mean, even start lying down, not just sitting down watching oh, it. Oh,
1: my God. Well, you, you've seen the – I think Lenovo is mm. releasing these glasses that, that have your your computer screen in the glasses. Wow. So you can just lie down and, and watch your Wow. Computer. You can
0: never – escape the computer screen. No. Oh, never. My Lord. I mean g-
1: Google g- Google Glass Oh, no.
0: I don't think it ever really caught on. No. Because it was like uh, you could get a little bit of a screen popping into your real world. It's so yeah. weird.
1: And I think people started seeing other people wearing mm. Google Glass and going,
0: yeah, look, What know. a
1: loser. There's a
0: dork over here. Yeah. I, I'm tempted. I would love Google Glass so I can always watch a movie. Just oh. one. Oh, I'm like, Yeah, okay. We've got something going on. Yeah. Here.
1: But I mean, that's great and all. But I feel like <laughs> in the kind of world that we're living in right now, with, you know, like you can watch an entire movie on TikTok with like, subway mm-hmm. surfers happening under it oh, boy. I feel like that's bad for our brains
0: right? Yeah. but you know I could be seeing every single movie of all time I've got a better shot if I've got a movie constantly going you, on my left eye. you are a movie appreciator the yeah. you
1: know you could be always watching a mm-hmm. movie
0: my dream that would be my dream that's your dream mm-hmm.
1: that's cool I think my dream is to like have a trillion dollars <laughs>
0: <laughs> well how am I going to get that trillion dollars I think it's by being the world's biggest movie though. yeah
1: like always watching having seen every
0: movie yeah right? it's like that that's the guy we go to. Yeah. They can ask me any question about any film, and uh, if I'm if I'm not brain dead, I will answer them. Yeah,
1: and if you like kind of have enough of a memory <laughs> about that, because like you might just be doing yeah, something a little a more
0: important. at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't I feel like it'd be bad for it, but also very good.
0: Yeah, career-wise.
1: And I mean like, okay, so mm-hmm. with video game adaptations, you know, and with with uh, going back to like superhero Mm. movies and stuff i feel like with superhero movies with marvel let's say marvel movies in particular it wasn't just comic book fans seeing those films Mm. it was people who've maybe never read marvel or dc whatever uh comic book seeing these movies and being able to enjoy them right and that's fine you know, there's there's freaks who are like, um, you don't even know what happened to Spider-Man in <laughs> this issue and how it doesn't even relate to the movie. And it's like, well, me no care.
0: Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, why would you? Know? you? <laughs>
1: why would why would I do that? Why yeah. would I read when I can watch? Mm-hmm. You know? There's mass appeal for superhero movies in, in both the the comic book fan world and also the movie enjoyer world because I feel like superheroes just in general kind of have that appeal. Mm. Uh, You know, what if a person had freaking powers? Yeah. That's exciting to most people, Mm -hmm. right? With video game adaptations, do you think, uh, like, how much do you think the love or hate uh, for a video game adaptation is linked to the way that people feel about the source material? Do you think it's, Mm. it's similar to superhero movies or do you think that there's kind of, a difference, maybe based on the fact that you actively choose what happens in a game?
0: I think that's a really interesting question because I think that for me, there have been very few examples where I have preferred the film over the video game. Oh, yeah. In fact, I would say Detective Pikachu is the only one.
1: The Detective Pikachu games?
0: I've never played them.
1: They're and I like the slow. movie
0: more than I've ever liked any – I've loved Pokemon my yeah. whole life. Well, I don't know, probably first 15 years of my life maybe if I'm being yeah. really honest. Yeah. But then that that movie, it's like, yeah, great translation of it. Every single other one, and I'm even it includes a big one that I think people hold up as the great video game adaptation, The Last of Us, yeah. I think the video game is far more successful in Absolutely. every aspect. And I'm talking at large from Tomb Raider to Uncharted – to Mario, <laughs> to Mario. To Mario. I think all of them. I don't know if – I don't think there's a single one. As far as big ones go, I know there's like – what's there's this werewolf movie that I know. It's Werewolves like, Within.
1: Yeah, there's there's Werewolves Within. It's a very Within. interesting one because it is the top-rated video game adaptation mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes, which, yeah. like, you know, is whatever, but, like, yeah. that's, that's the facts. Like, it is the top-rated one – Uh, when it comes to both critics' consensus and audience, right? But as a video game, it was a a VR, 2016, small VR game that I hadn't even heard of until quite recently.
0: I've never even seen a screenshot of the game.
1: No, me neither. And the movie is pretty, like, widely accepted as a Mm. great movie on its own. Yeah,
0: it's a a horror comedy from what I gather. I've yet to see that, but I would say that, like, that element in All of these movies that are even, like in the case of The Last of Us, a direct adaptation of the game. Mm. And it's a game that is just bursting with story and personality. And it's unique. It's a unique telling of something that's quite familiar to us in like the tropes of a zombie apocalyptic type storyline. But it's taking fresh ideas to it. I don't think for me any of the adaptations have been better, been more enjoyable, been more interesting, fascinating. As the video games, and I don't I mean, it's how can they be like because in the video game it, it's a not it's an active experience, yeah. it's not a passive experience the way that often for the most part movies are a passive experience. You're watching something happen in video games, you're in charge of every decision, like whether it be uh, from a big role playing game where you actually actively have to make choices or just the choice and decision of I'm going to move left. Mm. I'm going to move right. I'm going to go back to this room. You're so in charge of the experience and a lot of the character comes to your connection to the character, how you feel about the character. That can be same for movies too, but it's not as direct as that. Yeah. And I think that is a really big hurdle because there are some things that work in video games that don't work in film or TV series. I think The Last of Us, um, it's very well made. And they've made some really fantastic and interesting decisions of how to adapt that. Uh, personally, I prefer the storytelling in the game than, yeah. the, than the TV series, but it's a really fascinating thing to look at because you're just going like, "Well, how do they bridge those gaps?" Because a lot of the game and the story unfolds while playing, not just through cutscenes. They can't just go, "Well, let's just turn all the cutscenes into script and then pop it out." But it's like, okay, well, what about the connective tissue? You can't just go, "Okay, well, this happens." And then we've got a cut and we go, here's the next thing that happens. It's very, it's a I think it's a very interesting adaptation. And I've re- I have liked seeing how much people have really loved it. And mm. hopefully it's brought people back to the video game as well. And I'm very interested to see how they'll adapt to Last of Us Part Two, because I think, I think that is one of the I, for me, it's the one of the greatest video games of all time, The Last of Us Part yeah. Two, and I think it's one of the greatest uses of storytelling ever in a video game, from a narrative sense of like how to give you the the sat, uh, interesting, I don't even know, if satisfying feeling, but the narrative satisfaction of a storyline through a non linear experience totally. as well, uh, like the, the experiencing a story non linearly to still give you the feeling of a perfectly executed story. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, like, very interested to see how they're going to even adapt that. So yeah. I don't know. That is – I think it's not It's not my favourite, but it's rightfully a high watermark of oh, uh, totally. video game adaptations.
1: I think when it comes to The Last of Us Part Two in particular, I fear for whoever plays Abby, mm. honestly, because that – even the voice actress in the game was was just uh, harassed mm. to an Crazy. ungodly extent for – Being a character, which is insane to me.
0: I would say, I think the tough thing is because it's a lot of the same audiences. Yeah, They will still be feeling that. Yeah, But you don't often see in film and TV, you see some of that, but not to that extent. And I think it's because of what we're talking about, the connection to the character in video game. That's you. That's literally you. How can you not care about that person? Yeah. So you see these people to have these hyperbolized emotions around them totally. and take things so personally. You don't often see that in film with audiences. The only the one I could people.
1: pull it to is like how people feel about Skylar White yeah. in Breaking Bad, which I still don't understand yeah. to this day. Which
0: is misogyny basically. It is. It's it misogyny. really is. Yeah. She
1: was reasonable for mm-hmm. the entire time mm-hmm. easily. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation, yeah. right? So the last video game movie you saw mm-hmm. was Mario.
0: Was Mario? I watched it days ago.
1: And uh, days ago. Mm-hmm. So you've got a fresh perspective on it. I guess so. Right. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about kind of the movie as a whole, especially when it comes to the characterization of the characters?
0: It's pretty interesting because they don't really have anything to go from apart mm. from like oh he's got an established look and a backstory. But when we say backstory, he's Italian and he's a plumber. Yeah. That's kind of it. And he works with his brother. He's, yeah, he's got a brother. <laughs> <That's kind laughs> and he's got a brother. Yeah. I think they did a pretty funny job of adapting those things, especially when we're in the real world yeah. um, of Brooklyn. And you're like, okay, these guys. I, I The one thing that I really appreciated was like, how they explain like what their costumes are as if it's like a gimmick for yeah. who they are. I actually found that to be quite I loved, charming.
1: I loved the, the ad. I loved mm-hmm. the Mario loved the rap. Ad. I thought that was just – I I think that was – and I, th- there's a lot of delightful stuff in that mm. movie. I think that was the most – one of the most delightful parts. Like yes. I thought it was just so – it was so cute, mm. right? And I think a lot of this movie is just very it's cute. It's
0: cute. And I think Jack Black uh, mm. as Bowser, it's a – there's moments of genius there. Oh yeah. There's ge- some genius going on there.
1: W- who else was going to do it like that? Oh Nobody. yeah, exactly.
0: You have to. You have to make a weird choice. You have yeah. to go. Let's do something weird. Well,
1: that's the thing because because they're pretty much all these characters are blank slates. Mm. You can kind of do anything with them, and making Bowser pathetic, mm-hmm. like a bit of a loser. I thought, and this is like for me, this is this is my deep Mario yep. lore, Is like making Bowser a bit of a loser, a bit pathetic, a bit you know, uh, uh just you know, in love but mm-hmm. unlucky in love is very much related to how his character was in the Paper Mario series. Yep. Because in the Paper Mario series, you obviously play as Mario, play as his friends, but then every now and then the story takes you over to whatever Bowser's doing, mm. and usually it's funny. It's it's like the comic relief of those games, and he's yeah he's, he's kind of pathetic, and to see that in the Mario movie, I honestly think was the best that they could do with it. Yeah, like the the most accurate representation of what's supposed to be a scary fire breathing turtle guy actually just being kind of
0: goofy. Mm.
1: Perfect, great for kids, great for adults. I think that I think that was like some of the best. Like from scratch characterization they could have done, and nobody else could have done it but Jack Black. Right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I I mean they I they would have to pick someone really weird. Yeah, like they would have to make a choice. But Jack Black, it's, I think it's fantastic. It's really hmm. fun.
1: How do you feel about Chris Pratt as Mario?
0: When it was announced, I was <laughs> I don't know how because it's like I thought it was um, uh an awful decision. I <laughs> thought like it was insane. a joke. At first. I thought it was just an awful decision because yeah. it's just like. I don't uh I could not I think they should have cast an Italian guy. Yeah. I, I actually really think that they should have cast an Italian guy. I think of some they kind. should
1: have cast somebody older.
0: Yeah, I agree. Him.
1: I think he's I think I thought he was too young. Mm-hmm. And and like in my eyes at least, Mario's like
0: He's got a moustache. He's
1: got a moustache. He's mm-hmm. he's kind of like dumpy. you know. Exactly.
0: I reckon get freaking Michael Imperioli as one of the oh, Mario brothers, God, you know? Yeah. It, like, Something like that.
1: Even bring Bob Hoskins back. Well, like, he's dead, From the dead. Yeah, okay.
0: Th- bring I would appreciate him back that. from the dead. He's one of my hero actors, my favorite oh, actors of all time. One
1: of my favorite movies of all time?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You want to guess? Bob uh, Hoskins flick. Who
0: Framed Roger Rabbit? That's correct. That's why I love Detective Pikachu. Oh, my- it's oh, like I think the same gave, movie, you know? He gave so much of that. Mm, I it love Who Framed so
1: Roger Rabbit. so much. I'm a big fan of a good 2D, 3D mm-hmm. crossover, yes. which is why I am so desperate for what is it, Coyote versus Acme?
0: Yeah. To get I a think, proper release. I hope so. I, th- I think
1: that they're selling it around, mm. fingers crossed.
0: And I would say, I've gone on the record, said this many times. Mm. I think Bob Hoskins in Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the greatest screen acting performance. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Oh I think it's God, one of yes. the hardest ones, and he re- it's one of the greats. He
1: managed to still pull off like an accurate mm. neo noir performance, mm-hmm. despite it being. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Being yep. a funny rabbit guy and his sexy wife. Yes, like exactly. It's I I I just I love everything about that movie. Me too. Hands down, ten out of ten, perfect film. I agree. With you know Detective Pikachu, there there was a lot of that, right? Yes, and but yeah, I think Bob Hoskins, bring him back, pull mm-hmm. him out.
0: Exactly, pull him out, zap him. What if it was okay? You got Joe Pesci as Mario, oh. and you've got. Uh, or Joe Pantoliano, Yeah. Uh, any Joey P basically doing oh, it. I love a bit but of I Joey think, P. But I think, you know, even like Harvey Keitel and Michael Imperioli or something yeah. like that, John Torturo. A
1: lot of people said Danny DeVito. My only problem. Oh, wow, problem, that's a
0: bit perfect.
1: My only problem with Danny DeVito.
0: Mm. My only wow, problem. Too sexy.
1: He's just too much of a heartthrob I mean yes But also And maybe Maybe Always Sunny Has just kind Mm. of like Tainted it for me But He's a little too He's got a little too much stank on him I feel like he'd be better As like one of
0: He would have been a great Bowser He would have been a great Bowser He would have been a
1: great One of Bowser's Like main cronies Yeah Or even A family member of Mario Mm. Because you see Mario and Luigi's Whole family Yeah at the start of the film, which I once again think yeah. was a great idea. I think just having Mario and Luigi, like it's kind of sad. The There was um, the Super Mario Brothers show, yeah. like the animated yeah, show yeah. in the 80s, 90s and that introduced, like, Papa Mario, Mm -hmm. Mama Mario, and they were, like, these side characters, but they existed, and that's fun. A Mario family tree, delightful. Yeah. Having uh, Mario and Luigi have siblings who are doing better than them, funny, Mm -hmm. silly, goofy. It's fun. And I think Danny DeVito, I think get literally the entire living cast of The Sopranos. Yeah. Get to be in their family,
0: yeah. Get Jason great. Schwartzman or something, oh you know? That would be cool.
1: Charlie Day is Luigi. Uh, I, couldn't proper, I couldn't get a proper, I couldn't get a proper read on it because mm. there wasn't enough Luigi in the movie.
0: It's true, there wasn't enough Luigi. Give Luigi a movie, I reckon.
1: I agree. Luigi's Mansion, mm. the movie,
0: absolutely, it writes itself. It's done.
1: It's done. That mm-hmm. was fun. Fun fact about Luigi's Mansion as a game. Originally, it was going to be Mario's Mansion. Like Mario really? was going to be the main character. <sighs>
0: wrong. It's wrong.
1: The problem was. Mario had already been solidified as a hero. Mm. So if they put him in a haunted mansion and had him scared of the ghouly ghosts, bad. He'd be, you know, branded as a loser. They couldn't have Mario do that. He's already a hero. Mm -hmm. So they went, we have nothing on Luigi yet. Luigi does not have a character personality yet. Let's make him a coward. Let's make him so skilled and put him in the Mm. haunted mansion. And that's where Luigi's mansion came.
0: Yeah, I loved that.
1: Yeah, so like him being a bit of a scaredy cat in the the Mario movie, I think worked, mm-hmm. but I didn't see enough.
0: Yeah, but well, you know, they, I think they'll probably make a Luigi's Mansion movie. Surely. We'll get there. They'll, they'll they'll make all of them now that the freaking the dam has busted.
1: Exactly. And so uh, so that was the most recent video game movie that you saw. Yes. But so your favorite's probably Detective Pikachu. Not without probably. A, not definitely, without For doubt. sure.
0: And I don't, I can't imagine it will ever change. Like, I will never yeah. love a movie the way I love that film. It's just, there's,
1: there's so much good to it. I think it's so well done. Yeah. I think my only critique, uh, you know, spoiler warning for Detective Pikachu, mm-hmm. it's not even a critique. Spoiler warning for Detective Pikachu, but you probably should have seen it by now, is Pikachu being his dad. I thought was mm. really funny.
0: Yeah, it's, it's cute. <laughs> I, it I don't mind so that at all. Oh, I think it's so cute. I I saw it and we viewed it on my podcast Total Reboot ages ago. Um, I went with Ray my friends Sam Campbell and Tom Walker comedians. <laughs> and it was like one of the best viewing experience of my life. I
1: was about to say, if you're going to see a movie like mm-hmm. Detective Pikachu with anybody, yeah. the fact that you saw it with Sam Campbell and Tom yeah. Walker would have been an experience. It was a
0: dream come true. And it was so funny because we made fun of Tom Walker, who's a mime comedian, when Mr. Mime was on screen. It's like, <laughs> mate, that's your idol. Or that's that's your, you, man. Didn't that guy train you? We're like laughing about it. At the end of the movie when the credits came up, Mr. Mime was literally played by one of his men. Mentors. No,
1: did the, the body of it and everything, <laughs> did
0: the movement, and we lost our minds. That's we lost so our
1: minds. <laughs> that rocks. Yeah. So, great film. Great mm-hmm. film. I saw Five Nights at Freddy's.
0: Okay, Five Nights at Freddy's.
1: You haven't seen it yet.
0: I've not seen it yet. I'm mildly curious about it because it's an interesting premise, and I had my little nephew. When he was, like, seven years old, he was obsessed with Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Like, for my Christmas present that year, he, like, drew me all these pictures of Five Nights at Freddy's characters. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool, great. I will keep okay. this forever, I guess. <laughs> he also drew Pennywise. He was obsessed with Pennywise Aww. at the same time. So he was going through something strange. But I know that kids love Five Nights at Freddy's. Well,
1: Five Nights at Freddy's, for me, is an interesting one that – I don't remember where, who I talked about it with. But I think it is a hard genre – to do and that Mm. genre children's horror
0: yeah i think it's a great genre as well i
1: think it's a fantastic Mm. genre it's
0: something i really appreciate
1: it's it's hard to do it's hard to figure out where that line is for when it's too much for children Mm. but you know uh not enough for horror right like you want to get to that sweet spot i think movies like Coraline Mm -hmm. and uh the nightmare before christmas even great. i would say for me
0: the big one jumanji is the jumanji Jumanji, Jumanji is huge the original uh,
1: Monster House. Yeah. A lot of Round these-
0: the Twist the TV show the twist, that was that was very powerful for me. That
1: that was a scary yeah. ass
0: show. It's probably still like my favorite but piece even, of media. Um,
1: <laughs> what was it? A trap Door
0: was Trap Door, yeah. Yeah,
1: like there were there, there's been a lot of children's horror and I think it's it's done really well in um claymation, stop motion mm. animation because there's, there's kind of like something a little icky to that anyway. Yes. Um Tim Burton, icky guy, yeah, making weird icky off. movies and yeah, like I think it's a, a very interesting genre and it's, you know, now being done to death in video games. And it's for me it started with Five Nights at Freddy's, right? That being said, I've never played a Five Nights at Freddy's mm. game ever. I have, however, watched an eight hour lore video. Oh my god, on eight five hours. Five Nights at Freddy's. You you saying Is it that- just one game? No. Okay. It's so, un, definitely under ten. Okay, or so, at, so at, much. At, at least oh, wow, ten. Okay, I
0: thought it was just one game.
1: No, Five Nights at Freddy's, Five Nights at Freddy's two. Wow. There's one VR game, but I think another one's coming.
0: Wow, good Lord um, Almighty!
1: And there's also there's there's a bunch, and they, they kind of have different kind of genres as mm. well. It's an interesting you know concept, right? And you know why not go for like what if Chuck E. Cheese was. F- yeah. Like I get it, right? It's clever. And so there was always going to be a movie of mm-hmm. this. Always going to be there's merchandise, there's a million games, there's all sorts of stuff for it. There's nephews drawing pictures for Christmas. <laughs> it's a big deal. So of course there was going to be a movie. Yeah. How are they going to do it? Because Five Nights at Freddy's has the opposite problem of Mario where there is so much lore. Mm. And not only is there so much lore, but there's heaps of fan theories. Mm. So not only is there canonical, you know, lore for this game series, there's also a million fan theories that fans want to become true and want to be canon. So if they're not canonized, Mm. it's like, oh, this movie sucks. Right. I come from the perspective of never having played Five Nights at Freddy's game in my life, I get scared. Yeah. But I've watched a lot of lore stuff, mainly to get to sleep or just to kind of like have a noise playing in the Mm. background. So I've learned a bit, right? As a movie, meh. Yeah. As a movie about Five Nights at Freddy's is a a canonical piece of lore, of, of, you know, content, whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. uh, Okay.
1: The experience of seeing it at the movies, fantastic.
0: What's the difference between it being a good movie and the experience of seeing it?
1: I saw it in a very, very small cinema, Mm -hmm. me with two of my friends and three other people in the cinema. Yeah. And the three people in the cinema who were there, one of them had seen it three times. Oh, my gosh. And we saw it very close to release, right? So it was pretty, like, intense, right? Mm. Like, whoa. But, like, they knew story beats. And, like, so we had a little conversation before the movie. Yeah. And then because there's barely anyone there, and these guys, they kind of care, but they don't. We could crack jokes, we could have fun, yeah. we could be a little goofy to the screen because mm. it was just kind of like, it was kind of like watching it at home with your friends. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, we kind of sat around having having a chat with these guys about what was in it. Yeah, fantastic
0: experience. Wow. Will you watch it again?
1: No. Okay. Probably. Oh, maybe. Mm. No.
0: Do you recommend it to someone like me who's never played the game?
1: I think everybody should see it.
0: Okay, wow. When it comes on to a <laughs> streamer, I might chuck it on. Well, that's
1: the thing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, once again, there was six months where I was watching nothing but bad movies. And so that has kind of I taught try me not to, do that. Not to discount, <laughs> yeah. not to discount, you know, the experience of watching any movie because sometimes you can watch a really sh- movie mm. but still have heaps of fun with it. Yeah. Just from the experience of, you know, watching it with your friends and you're goofing off. Yeah, you know? Okay. I'm all right. I think any movie, brought me around to it. Any movie can be fun to watch.
0: I agree. Yeah, it brought me around to it. I will that's see Five movie. Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, and that's, that's what I wanted by the today. end of this. I will agree to it. The whole
1: point of this podcast was to get you to agree to watch okay. the Five Nights. I'll watch
0: it. And I'll watch it gladly and happily.
1: And that's the end of the And I will show. give it a
0: five-star review. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's exactly what yeah, I want to hear. Okay,
0: okay.
1: Alexi, thank you so much for joining me on the pod today.
0: Hey, my pleasure. would be any time, dudes. Absolutely.
1: And you've got your own- new podcast. yeah. Do you want to do a bit of a plug of what you got going on? Oh my God, I moment? would
0: absolutely love to. It's a passion project of mine that oh, yeah. finally is being put out into the world. I've been making this podcast called Sunburnt Screens, the Australian Cinema Odyssey. And it's basically an audio journey through Australian film. I'm so passionate about Australian film. I really want to share it with people and help people discover things and find filmmakers that they love. And this series is basically me going through that journey and each episode is like a different topic. Uh, where the first couple are about like modern, new wave Australian horror, because I think we're in a really fascinating place in horror cinema right now in mm-hmm. Australia. So I'm interviewing all these filmmakers. that made these great movies, and I've got big interviews with Gillian Armstrong, Rolf de Heer, Brian Trenchard-Smith is like the great Ausploitation filmmaker. I've got a whole episode dedicated to his cinema, queer cinema, and heaps more stuff that I'm trying to like cook up and it's out right now wherever you get pod, podcasts sunburned screens and there'll be some more cool episodes at the start of next year as well
1: oh yeah i yeah. love yeah. to hear it
0: and So i'm very proud of it very proud of it
1: hell yeah. yeah and so once again thanks for joining me today
0: my pleasure dude literally anytime <laughs> i love you dude anytime. oh i
1: love you too and a big thank you to you for listening if you're liking what you're hearing and you'd like to hear more consider supporting back pocket over on patreon If you support us at the Silver Tier and above, you can get access to our bonus episodes. In this week's bonus episode, Alexi is pitching his very own video game movie and I'm like a Shark Tank guy. Consider this. Mm -hmm. I'm a big-time producer.
0: Oh, my gosh. I wish I'd known all these years.
1: I'm a big-time producer. I got a million trillion dollars. I'm looking to get my next movie out Uh there. So what you've given me is a pitch right now. Yeah. Very interesting. But I want to know more okay and hey if you really like what you're hearing why not give us a five star rating on whatever podcast platform you're using better yet why not give us a nice little review you can also find us on twitch where we've got our main live show every thursday from 7 p.m and on tiktok where we're constantly posting very good stuff for you to cast your big beautiful eyes on and then there's the socials all the twitter and threads and whatever which you're also welcome to get around once again thanks so much for tuning in and as chris pratt's mario would say bye (laughs)